boot camps, uh, you know, just for to spell it out, are short, um, intensive programs that fast track people into uh, into jobs. So they're they're more workforce oriented, I'd say, and less um, academic. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eliminated Podcast. I'm your host, Kieran Kuritala. I have with me a serial entrepreneur, an edtech evangelist, and an all-around great entrepreneur and leader, Benny Boas. Benny is previously the founder and CEO of Burlington Code Academy, an award-winning online coding bootcamp, and is currently the founder and CEO of Upright Education. Upright Education is a platform making it simple for colleges to launch and monetize their bootcamp programs that place students in high demand tech jobs. Benny, welcome to Eliminated Podcast. Great to be here, Karen, and congratulations on making it past 100 episodes. <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate that. And it's only possible because of great people like you joining the podcast. Happy to be here. So you're doing something amazing because I... We had several speakers on the podcast come about and talk about community colleges, talk about four-year colleges, talk about entire uh, consortia like California Community College System. And uh, there's a lot of disruptors as well uh, that came and said, you know, we don't really need, if somebody wants to become a graphic designer, they don't need to freaking go to a four-year college. They can get a good certification or a background in Adobe and Canva now uh, and uh, become a graphic designer. Same thing goes with uh, somebody who wants to become a Java developer. However, uh, higher education institutions are kind of, they on the surface say they want to make education affordable and accessible for all. But the truth of the matter is their business model is to be the Fort Knox of education where student finishes their high school comes to the college, spends four years, and gets a degree. And that's why they hate coding boot camps or vocational training and certifications. So talk to me a little bit about how you're helping universities and colleges understand that boot camps are just as important as four-year degrees or more important than four-year degrees. So... Um... I think that uh, as a point to of distinction, um, you know, we are not looking at boot camps as a replacement for four-year degrees. Um, in some cases, they can be auxiliary um, or and or ancillary. Um, in other cases, they actually can amplify opportunities for folks who have graduated from uh, the from four-year institution um, or even uh, into a master's degree. Um, boot camps. Uh, you know, just for to spell it out, are short, um, intensive programs that fast track people into uh, into jobs. So they're they're more workforce oriented, I'd say, and less um, academic. Um, they're supposed to, in theory, teach the technical skills that um, employers need um, in the in the year or moment when they need them. So. Um, one of the things that uh, I think has been really interesting is how quickly these models have become adopted in private for-profit companies, um, specifically ones that have received, you know, venture backing and could be, you know, seen as uh, as a, like a startup. Um, and then now, more recently, in the last five six years, um, they've become a lot more uh, heavily adopted by universities and institutions. 
Um, I think that at where we're at right now, um, universities and colleges, I wouldn't say hate hate boot camps or hate certifications. I think there's a really big challenge in having higher education institutions see these programs a as um, non-competitive with current four-year offerings, um, right? Because they're, and we'll get into the market segmentation later, but really the, the bootcamp student typically is pretty different from a four-year degree student. And then B, um, making sure that uh, colleges understand that these programs are in, not only intensive for students, um, but they're also intensive for providers. So mm -hmm. they, they take, cost a lot of money to build. Um, and they require a lot of resources and uh, and bodies just to keep up the curriculum and sustain the 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 curriculum over the course of changing and evolving technologies, which influences the way that people get jobs. So um, with those distinctions in mind, that's just a bit of background as to where we sit sort of in the continuum. So um, what I, I think that's a good, good distinction because a lot of times people, misconstrue what a boot camps are they think uh, that you know they are a replacement for for a four-year college they're really more of a complement to your high school education or four-year education because what if you go to a liberal arts college and get i don't know uh, your dreamy eyed and get a bachelor's degree in poetry and you realize after you you know and some people can be successful being a lifelong uh, literary uh, poets, if you will, or write their own poetry books. But some people, they might say, you know, maybe poetry is not for me. I want to get into a tech sector. I want to get a credential. The question is, do they get it directly from um, companies that are offering boot camps like you? Or do they go through a credentialing institution like Georgia Tech, if you will, and you're delivering education through the campus? What is the way for a student that has not learned any technical skills as part of his four-year or two-year curriculum now he wants to now he's an adult or he or she is an adult and uh, he um, he or she is trying to get this credential through upright education yeah so um to start um and not to shamelessly plug, plug in my company and what we do but um up, at upright what we do is we essentially make it really easy for colleges to white label their own boot camps without needing to put money down or to pay for anything, um, as well as to not have to worry about enrollment minimums. So, um, so they don't have to worry about, you know, sustaining a certain demand to keep the programs going. We, we take care of a lot of that for them. Um, one of the things that I think is really important and the reason I bring what up, what we do is because um, at Upright, we aren't direct to consumers. So we're not providing these programs directly to students. We're providing them in partnership with colleges to serve the local needs of the institutions. Um, one of the things that I think will also help for the sake of this conversation is to note that, um, you know, our general market aren't necessarily uh, students graduating from high school. You had it right on the, you hit it right on the head of the nail, um, which is that we generally work with uh, you know, our typical market is somebody who might have already gotten a degree and is, you know, underemployed four or five years later um, and needs to and wants to step into a career where there's um, earning potential as well as uh, growth potential um, or somebody who hasn't completed a degree um, or hasn't finished college or has or just never went to college, but has six or seven mm -hmm. years of working experience and wants to, you know, get out from a job and move into a career. So that sort of illuminates the and, you uh, 
so that sort of illuminates the um, the the sort of market that we 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 are generally uh, approaching, which in um, you know, for, for short, you know, you could refer to that as the adult learner market, right? Because these are learners who are generally above the age of 24. They already have some work experience. Um, and the, the, I think the important uh, point here is that these learners um, have been working just long enough in a job to realize that they don't like it and they want to do something else, or maybe they want um, something more sedentary, or they need to get into a place where they can support a family. So, um, so that just shines a little bit of background into um, into sort of how we how we serve the market and the market that we serve. Um, now, when you think about the options that have existed previous to Upright, um, just to sort of lay it all out, you had you know early in from 2012 th to 2013 and onwards, you had some some small some private providers. Uh, some private companies, you had General Assembly and, you know, the early, there was a flat iron school. And I was actually the founder of one of the first boot camps in the East Coast um, back in 2015. So these programs were really starting to come up um, called Burlington Code Academy. We were first serving, you know, locally in Vermont, then went online a little bit shortly after. Um, and so I know that, you know, what that that specific space really well, the for-profit direct to, to um, student or direct to learner, direct to customer model. Um, and that model is was great, and it is great, and I'm a huge, huge advocate for boot camps. Um, but unfortunately, they tend to address um, audiences that are generally more metropolitan um, mm. and that are generally more sophisticated in their understanding of the type of training resources that currently exist, meaning sure. that they have had some sort of exposure in some way to these types of programs, whether they'd be through friends or network or through um, or through hearsay and, you know, some big city where these boot camps originated. So that's that was sort of the early days of like the boot camp direct to student uh, model. Mm -hmm. Of course, a lot of them went online. Now, the other way that market has been served was shortly after um, larger companies such as Trilogy Education Services, which was acquired by Tuyu. Um, who I know you've had representatives of on this show in the past. Um, they um, they were going after the brand name colleges. So, so they said, okay, look, these called these programs are really expensive to run. So we and we know we need to sustain a certain amount of enrollment to keep these programs afloat. And so they worked with really big name brand name colleges. You've got UCLA, you know, UConn, um, UC Berkeley. Um, running the, the programs in partnership sure. with with trilogy um and then that was sort of the the next evolution of the boot camp model which brought it more into the university space where mm -hmm. we sit as sort of a big differentiator and where we see actually the largest opportunity in the market is serving you know let's say there's 36 to 3700 schools and you have trilogy serving the you know or two of you serving the top 200 300 largest or uh, mm -hmm. with the biggest name we're serving sort of the um uh, the 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 local university or community college that just that that two of you or trilogy do not see as app as palatable sure. for their business model um and so where we see that opportunity particularly is like i said in this in these mid market um, community colleges uh, and local universities, um, both state, public or private. Um, and I can get in, into more of why we see that as the biggest opportunity, but that's sort of where we sit in that, um, in that competitive matrix. 
That sounds great. And thank you so much for getting into the detail. I want to talk to you a little bit about the, obviously I do understand and I like the fact that, you know, they, when they when they finish a boot camp, they're not getting a boot uh, certificate from upright education, but from University of Georgia or Georgia Tech, or, uh, you know, in your example of two U, UCLA or UC Berkeley, where you are providing the training, but the credential or the signal itself is coming from a accredited organization. I wouldn't call it reputed, but you know, a accredited organization because that's what you know students or adult learners are looking for. I like that, and I also like the fact that you know, if you look at the latest conversation about immigration, uh, which rightfully so is needed. Um, there's a lot of you know hundreds of thousands of tech tech jobs out there, and a lot of the tech jobs have can pay salaries far beyond any other non-tech non -tech job con with, uh, tech job can with the exception of probably fintech or you know a doctor if you will because some amazon starts their starts their tech jobs at no less than $100,000 for a starting uh, for a kid straight out of college so there's a lot of opportunity here so the 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 question i want to ask is even though there's a lot of interest in uh, tech sector from employers um, there's still a gap in students pursuing tech jobs yes. um, when they come out of high, high school. Do you know what the reason for this is? Is this the yeah. way American education system is built? So that's, I love that question, Karen. Um, so so here's, here's sort of the, the easy answer to that and then it gets a lot more complicated the easy answer is that stem jobs generally or stem stem fields are generally completely uh they're just much less popular in um in students pursuing higher education than you know um other subject areas that are uh that are a little bit more broad such as you know if you look at degree conferment over the last few years you know somewhere around like 33 percent has been in business degrees whereas like 10 whereas like less than four percent has been in stem so mm -hmm. um so one of the things that's important to note is that in that in 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 that alone, um, you can see that you know that you'd probably have less students who are interested in um, in enrolling in like a coding boot camp than maybe like a, a you know a business program. Okay, so that's that's one place to start, but that doesn't answer your question because your question is is tech jobs, not technical skills, and those right. are two very different things. Tech jobs are actually open, sort of span the gamut of the type of skills that you need to right. uh, to enter a career, right? Like tech sales is a much lower technical skilled area than coding, but or nonetheless, business analysis or, or project management, exactly project management, data analytics, like these these programs are generally much less technical than coding, right? So that's that, and then you have cybersecurity, which is sort of at the higher end of that, and then you have like data science, which is like super. You know, it's it's a it's a big challenge to to bust in those fields if you're if you don't enjoy you know that that type of technical work. So now we have sort of, now we have this like problem, right? Which is what when we talk about tech jobs, people immediately um, they sort of immediately uh, associate tech jobs with technical skills like technology training, like coding, you know, um, data analytics, like. Uh, or data science, um, cybersecurity, and sort of the 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 sort of the narrative that we have to rebuild here is that there are a lot of different types of employment within tech, mm -hmm. and boot camps can 
train very well into those particular fields as well. So here's a really good example. Tech sales is a really great example of a really interesting bootcamp model, and here's why. With tech sales, you simply do not need to learn those skills to then come out and get a career after taking a bootcamp in the same amount of time or the same cost as a coding bootcamp. If you're paying the same amount for tech sales bootcamp that you are for coding bootcamp, that's just ridiculous because coding takes a lot longer and you have to learn an entire language. Tech sales, you learn a few, you, you get familiar with some CRMs and most of the training happens with a job. So then you think, okay, why might I need to take a bootcamp then if it's so easy to learn this particular skill set? Why wouldn't I just go to a four-year degree and then boom, start applying? Well, here's why. Because tech jobs are, because tech sales is, a lowered barrier to technical entry, recruiters get blasted with applicants. So for any like entry level tech sales job, you might get like 10 times the amount of applicants than you would for an entry level programming job. And so for that reason, recruiters need to cut through the noise. They don't even know how, if half of these applicants are even serious, right? A lot of them are just right. throwing their hat into the ring because they don't necessarily need to have experience. They just want to click a button. That's yeah, all. just click a button, throw my name in there. I just graduated from, you know, uh, from, the, from, uh, from the University of uh, Washington. And I don't even know if I want to go into tech sales because that's maybe not who I am at my core. And I just blasted a resume in there. Okay, that's like half of the people applying to tech sales jobs entry level. So that now the recruiters just inundated, right? They have so many resumes to sift through. Well, guess mm -hmm. what? So how do they now go through and find who they're going to pick out of those ten out of those one thousand entry level resumes? Well, they're going to rely on traditional me methods for evaluating applicants. So they're going to go back to what network, of course, network and university. And who does that exclude? Primarily immigrants and minorities. Yeah. The people that are most disproportionately affected by the uh, by um, by uh, traditional recruiting methods for technology jobs are minorities and Im immigrants and folks who are on the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum. Well, guess mm. what boot camps do? Tech sales boot camps help you cut through all of that noise. Right, because when you what you do when you go through a tech sales boot camp is you're not only demonstrating to an employer that you're a little bit ramped up enough to say to demonstrate some value by the time you get out, which is, which is like you know twenty percent, twenty steps ahead of the average entry level sales applicant, but you're also demonstrating at that moment that you actually want to do the job, right? And that's a really interesting thing, right? Like. You, you're connecting with a network. Hopefully your bootcamp provider has a network like Upright does of hiring partners. We have about 150. Um, you're not only connecting with their network of hiring partners, but you're, you're, you're signaling right into the universe. Right. Like I wanna do this role. Like I wanna right. be in tech sales. And you know, not everybody wants to be in tech sales. Nobody, no, no, most people don't even know what that is or what the job even entails. So if you go through the bootcamp, complete it and say, you still want this, then and you're a recruiter, then you should be thinking, okay, I should be recruiting from boot camps. So right. now you have another market, right? You have the non-tech, the lower technical skills market, all the way to the higher technical skills like coding. Because on coding on one end, you can just learn the tech, all the skills you need to get the job. But with tech sales boot camps, they serve sort of a little bit of a different purpose. And so now you start to start start to see like the 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 wide range of opportunities within products that can be rolled out throughout a bootcamp model. You can have digital marketing, you can have data analytics, you can even start to think about you know areas like project management. And I think that that's a really unique per position that we have in the market now, which is to start looking at ROI, right? Look at the product by ROI and maybe charge based off of that as well. And the university degree system, right? Like 
it's interesting to think about, okay, if you go through like a chemical engineering degree, which you're generally going to see like really great job opportunities from, um, you're paying the same amount as you would to go through, uh, you know, literature, philosophy degree. And I'm a graduate from a liberal arts college. I went to Bennington College and I studied like philosophy and politics and environmental studies and art for like four years. So I, sure. am, I am like the poster child of a liberal arts student. But the point is, is that I came out with very little technical skills and had a hard time getting a job. If you, but I paid the same amount as somebody studying chemical engineering. So, and it took right. the same time. You're telling me it takes the same time to learn to study Foucault for four years than it does to, you know, become a chemical engineer. It just shouldn't. But, and you know what? It shouldn't take the same amount of time for you to take a tech sales boot camp than it does a coding boot camp. But guess what? Lots of providers have pigeonholed themselves in the same way, pricing and modeling the programs as the exact at the exact same number of weeks at the exact price when the ROI is different, when the time it takes to learn the skills are different. And so what we do at Upright is we base... With our career boot camps that all place students into tech jobs, those are direct to employment boot camps. We base the program on the number of weeks it takes that that we think it takes to get a job. So we work backwards sure. from what is the lowest amount of time, what is the fastest that somebody can get a job in this field, and then work backwards from building the curriculum from there. So that's amazing. No, I, I like the idea, and I like the fact that you're really looking at the return on investment. But I think there's two parts to this. I agree with you that um, getting it's getting a if you want to get a tech job, uh, the best way for you to impose your will to get the job is obviously show that you have put your time into by getting a boot camp. But also the other part of it is, for example, let's take uh, your example. You finish your liberal arts degree and. Uh, for whatever reason, you did not become a successful writer or a poet or philosopher, you have to make a living. So you end up working in a, I don't know, a restaurant or working in a, as a line manager in a, um, in a, in a warehouse. The thing is, if you are listing the wire, wire line, line manager in a warehouse, you have all the project management skills, you have all the organizational skills, mm -hmm. you have the discipline, you have the integrity. But if you say, hey, I was a line manager in a, I don't know, Walmart uh, warehouse, I want to apply to an Amazon as a project manager, there's a big delta there not just mm. for Amazon as a company, but also for you as a human being saying, you know, I don't know what Amazon project manager has does or whatever. I don't know what the software product manager does. So by doing this technical project management bootcamp, you're kind of fixing that mm. gap as well, not just imposing your will, but also saying, yeah, this is not much different from, I don't know, we're dealing with a bunch of uh, warehouse delivery people I'm, I'm not sure what warehouse people do but i'm just saying um but i think the idea here is mm. yes it is a way for you to make yourself more presentable to the job market but also for you to cross that threshold and say what i'm doing in my current job can apply to the future job am i off track on that or no you, do you, you have additional so, yeah yeah yeah, I love that. That's great. So it's looking at where there's transferable skills, like where you can, how you can document those skills to be able to add value to the employer. I, I totally get it. Um, the one thing that I would say is, is interesting about a boot camp is so one of the things you touched on that I thought was spot on was, um, you know, that you're getting exposure to an, in an industry and how the industry works. Um, and that's one important distinction. So, I mean, that, you know, that's, that's not everything, right? Um, the other part that's really important to note there is that there are also 
certain backgrounds and personality traits that lend themselves really well to particular fields. Um, and then, and those shouldn't be taken for granted when you evaluating applicants for bootcamp programs or for programs generally. Um, and we're not in the business of solving for the transferable skills, like, you know, Credly or other organizations that do like digital badging and can help verify, you know, and socialize, um, you know, skills in a, in a, in a more uh, granular uh, at a more granular level is amazing. And we work with credibly to credential our programs, but we unfortunately aren't um, able to say, hey, like, you know, you're also a project manager or you're also a really great socializer. So let's give you like a, a you know, a, 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 your, a badge you know, a, for this. A bat, yeah. Yeah. That's not, so, so we can't solve that problem. The problem that we can solve and that I think is really important is one that I don't know if we, we were getting there yet. Um, but it's really around imposter syndrome, right? Yeah. It's around that person who's in that warehouse thinking that they can go into that job, which is actually the hardest battle to fight. And not being worried that he is just yeah. lying to the yeah. few prospect employer. And that's exactly. what bootcamp does for you. And I think that's that's exactly what we need to do. Because if you think about, um, let's say you're running for a president, like whether it's Obama or McCain or whomever, um, you know, they're not president. They don't know what presidency involves, but they have to. Mm. They have to be an imposter, <laughs> if you will, exactly. to put themselves in the foot uh, in the seat of a president to do it. I mean, every job, whether it's a CEO or a janitor or an IT or a student coming out of college applying. But if you, the more you know about the job, the more well, uh, more comfortable you are talking to an interviewer about it. And I think the boot camps are a good place to do it. Um, the other. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, you want to add oh, anything to that? Yeah. Um, no, I just think you're 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 totally right. I mean, um, you know, you just a lot of most jobs are started without knowing. You always start something in your life without knowing no. what it is that you're getting into. Just remember right. that curiosity is very important, and that you and that so long as you're you're being support, you're supporting yourself. You know, that's yeah. sort of step one. So uh, the other part that you said in your uh, discussion about Upright and uh, how it helps um, colleges, I do like the idea that uh, you are focusing more on not the cream de la cream, if you will, like the Georgia Techs, yeah. UCLA and UC Berkeley, but also the lower quadrant of the colleges. Um, like, are you talking about community colleges yeah. um, or vocational schools? Because I feel like they are the tip of the spear when it comes to make education truly affordable and accessible. Like, yep. because as much as we want to see UC Berkeley reduce their tuition, I'm sure it's going to be from $75,000 to, I don't know, maybe $72,000. But if a true affordability of education comes from California Community College System or Georgia, Georgia Technical College System, where you can go in and get a credential for... I don't know, $3,000 if you want. So how is upright education helping community colleges? Because that sounds extremely fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah. So community colleges, when I think about like my ICP, right? Like my ideal customer profile, like that, it's a it's a nice a nice sized community college in a mid-tier mid tertiary market. Um, one of the things that just go, to get, a little bit of history here. Um, one of the reasons why we're serving this market and what's so interesting about this market to me um, is, is this. Um, when, well, when you look at the history of community colleges, right, they've really been balancing two identities for a long time. 
On the one end, you have the transfer institution, right? The degree side of the house that's, or the credit side of the house that's earning towards a degree, whether it's an associates at the community college or into a four-year um, institution. That, that is traditionally how these colleges have benchmarked success, um, right? Like how many students are completing into degrees or how many students are completing into four-year degrees at an institution transferring out. They're supposed to be transfer colleges, right? And then on the other side of the house, you have vocational skills and workforce and non-credit. You know, you have the programs that are teaching you skills to get a job. They're very different. These are two different, you can think about them as two different businesses. It's like, you know, mm -hmm. it's like General Mills with their, you know, popcorn and their, um, and their cereal. Um, you know, they're, it's, it's two different products or two different sides of, of, the, of the institution. Um, where we, so... I know you like to talk about where I we think the industry is going, so I'll save that for a little for 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 that question. But where I think right now the most important segment of the community market college market to pay attention to is the workforce side of the house and the, and the non credit side. And here's the reason why: the non the com typical community college student today doesn't look like the typical community college student of three years ago. And the typical community college student in three years from now will not look like this typical community college student of today. We are enrolling at, through our community college partners, folks who've completed four-year degrees at well-branded institutions. Now, how interesting is that? Somebody has went to, you know, a top university and has come mm -hmm. to a community college to take a tech boot camp. That's right. an interesting thing to think about, right? Like that historically didn't seem like very, you know, par for the course. Right. Um, typically somebody starts at a community college, right? But now we're seeing people kind of see, come back and say, okay, are you offering me an opportunity to get vocation or training to get a job mm -hmm. that my university isn't? Well, then let's right. go there. And so that's where I start to think that we start to see a really big shift in the community college space is that if we can adequately address local workforce, meaning if, if these community colleges can serve their local populations, which is what they were built to do, right? Serve their mm -hmm. towns, communities, cities, whatever. Then you also have an opportunity to capture the adult learner market in a way that could be captivating for these and, and actually make a really big economic difference or financial difference for these institutions. Right. Um, I absolutely agree. So and that's, I think that that's just one, yeah, that's one side of it. No, no, go ahead, finish, sorry. No, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. So sorry. I think I, there's also other part of it, um, like you said about a, a student, just like you going to liberal arts college, you know, let's take the example of us growing up as kids. Um, have you seen our children? I'm not sure how old your kids are. Uh, when when we asked my son when he was three years old or five years old, he wanted to be a fireman. And when I asked my daughter what he wanted to be, what she wanted to be when she was six years old, she wanted to be a vet. And as they grow older, they now have more adult expectations, but they still, you know, uh, they might want to be a journalist or a poet or a writer. But then adulthood kicks in, and you're like, well. Can I pay for my bill, pay my bills using these uh, passions or skills, or do I need some traits? Or I grow as an adult and say, I'm using computers every day, so maybe I need to do this, or you know, other technologies are relevant. So the point is, 
Yes, they might go to four-year college, they get a degree thinking that they'll become uh, A or B, um, but then adulthood kicks in and you're like, actually, I'm a better fit for this or that. And the boot camps can be a great value. And you know who is better to serve them than community colleges because nobody wants to go to a college and spend two years there just to get a, you know, I don't know, PMO certification, if you will. Yeah. So um, exactly. Every, and adulthood kicks in. You already have a full-time job. You have kids um, at home. You need to yeah. take care of your adult priorities, but you still want to pursue your higher goals. So I love the boot camp idea. Um, you know, do you see adult learners as being the single biggest part of your uh, student population? Yeah. What is oh, the yeah. dichotomy? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's. I love what you said too about you know they're changing expectations of like career roles. You know, through development, through like the development of your. Um, of your understanding of, of education. It's very true. You know, as you even move from high school to college, I think your understanding of the world <laughs> kind of, you know, yeah. takes a little bit of a, a shock. And um, even the, the change from like sophomore, like yeah, freshman to sophomore yeah. too. So I understand that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, that, so yeah, I mean, adult learners are definitely the largest segment in terms of the audience that we approach by far. I mean, we really mm -hmm. don't at all work with many fresh out of high school students. Um, I don't think we've ever actually enrolled one. Um, we don't work a lot with students who are um, currently in college, although we accept, would love to have some folks during, through the summer, which is sometimes popular. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, you're looking at adults who are career shift uh, switchers or career changers or people who are just starting out in their career. Um, one of the reasons why this, this segment is really important too is because imagine this, the bundling of education, right? Huge buzz buzz buzzword right there's been plenty of books written on it um when you look at like the the, the bundling of education right the degree the, the degree in 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 a, in a uh, as a business proposal when you say hey like i'm going you, when you look at somebody and say hey i'm i'm you know you're 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 going to the lifetime value of this student is going to be their four years they spend with us in college if they spend all four years with us I like to think of the lifelong learner as the new revenue model for colleges, right? So like rather, so looking at somebody from the ages 24 to 60 and saying, okay, this person is going to need to learn new skills every few years just to keep pace with the evolving needs of, of employers because technology changes so quickly. Like we need to learn new skills every few years just to keep pace. And that is something that we keep hearing, right? All the time. Mm -hmm. It's like upskilling, reskilling. It is so important. It is so important in my own hiring of people that work in my company. I'm always mm -hmm. looking at, are they, because we are always employing the newest technologies through every part of our automation in terms of our business practices. And if our employees don't have familiarity with those newer automation tools or, or newer software, we have mm -hmm. a really tough time picking employees with the experience. We're looking mostly with employees who really know what we're teaching or what we're using now. So that, mm -hmm. the, to that point, that means that over the next 60 year, 40 years of somebody's working life onward from age 22, they're going to need to take courses online right. to learn new skills. So if you could build trust with your institution at the onset of that learning journey for the, online, for the adult learner who's a, a lifelong learner, then you could imagine the lifetime value of that learner as much greater than the four years they spend in your institution. Mm -hmm. And that's so awesome. that's, that's where I sort of see a really big market 
um, in terms of the 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 way that we can rephrase or reshape the 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 uh, the sort of economics or the um, or the financial model of, mm -hmm. of uh, or the business of college. That's awesome. Benny, we've talked a lot about uh, higher education and uh, adult learners, return on investment, and also the need for technical skills upgrade. And you talked, you touched briefly about your own learning as a philosophy major, I believe. Uh, um, and uh, again, trust me, I'm, I wish I, I grew up in India, so I had no access to becoming a liberal arts student. Um, <laughs> you know, we, in India, we had two pathways, maybe three pathways, doctor, engineer, or a loser. Uh, again, it's, it's not it's not because I consider them losers because that's the mindset they have in India, which is really terrible. But, you know, after coming to US, I really had to self-learn all the cool things like liberal arts. Uh, I got into writing poems. I got into literature. Uh, I love philosophy. I've read about Nietzsche, everything from Plato's Republic to Nietzsche's Tuspeg Zarathustra. So I love the liberal arts. Um, so I want to hear a little bit about your own journey and A, what made you upskill or reskill yourself from a liberal arts um, major to a, a person that's really helping other hundreds or thousands, hundreds of thousands of students help them to realize their full potential if they want to pursue a STEM, a STEM um, job. And yeah, I just want to hear your life story because it sounds really fascinating for anybody who's, I don't know, flipping burgers in McDonald's looking saying, you know, maybe I can work in Microsoft, maybe I can work in Amazon. Why not? Um, I think yeah. people like you uh, can be a true inspiration for anybody who think who can upgrade or upskill their life. Um so I love what you just said, Kieran, about the how in India your your tracks are like your parents tell you you're either going to become a doctor or a lawyer or like I don't know what the hell is going to happen to your life. Um, because guess where guess what other culture says that? Can do 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 you have an idea? Jewish. Jewish. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say yeah. And Hebrews. so and so I grew <laughs> up in a very Jewish household. Um, and I I and um you know more culturally than than uh than ideologically or religiously. Um, but, uh, it, that was the same thing in my house. You're either going to become a doctor or a lawyer, or I don't know what's going to happen to you in your life. So that's, and then mind you, we had that plus my parents are immigrants. So they had no idea what was happening in the United States in terms of, I, I didn't know how colleges or careers worked for until I got into college and then got into a career. Um, so when I got into, so, so with that in mind, you know, what's really funny is that um, it actually became a point of extreme frustration in my life. Um, and, and, you know, throughout high school, I was a huge troublemaker. I got kicked out of two high schools. Uh, well, I actually got kind of asked to leave a public school, which is very difficult to do. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then I got asked to leave a private school. And then finally, I pulled it all together and went to college, whatever. Um, then I got into college and I was like, okay, now I'm really happy to be here. You know, I feel very fortunate. Um, you know, now I got to kind of take this seriously. And I, I did, you know, I, I, I was a good, I was a good student. I wasn't amazing. Um, you know, I did what I needed to, to, to get, to get the grades and maybe get into grad school if I wanted to later on, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like break my back all day. Mm -hmm. Um, the reason I say that, that tell you those particular things, aspects of my life is that that's what's influenced my entire life. When I was in college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. 
I love learning. I love the pursuit of learning. And the reason I think that Jewish um, culture and uh, Indian culture is very similar in those particular mantras is because Jewish cultures and Indian cultures have a strive for a high level of achievement and success, but B also strive for, they also have uh, their, they have a history of uh, a propensity for education and learning. Right. So like in Jewish culture, we study the Torah, you know, there's, there's Talmud and studying the Torah and, um, and, and, and an openness to understanding the world from, from, from uh, varying levels of, uh, of, um, of interpretation. And then in India, you have a, a, a culture that where religion is sort of, uh, it's, it, it, there's, there's a framework, sort of a, a framework, exactly, to, to build, to once again, interpret and build your life from. And those right. two things alone should sort of shape your life as a learner. They make you think a lot about how much you, how curious you are, how much, how big of a learner you are. And I think a lot of you know, the, the trouble I got into as youth was because of how curious I was and how I was mm-hmm. insatiably hungry to just do something that was independent. So with that in mind, I graduated from college and thought, okay, you know, doctor, lawyer, doctor, lawyer, that was literally in my mind. And then my <laughs> brother, then my brother became, you know, went to become the doctor. So I was like, okay, lawyer. So then I studied, you know, uh, the, I studied for the LSATs and I was like, well, I do not want to become a lawyer. Um, and <laughs> Ended up at 22, living in New York City, no money, no understanding of how what how to get a job, and was just ruthlessly applying for anything I could get. The first job I landed was at a an advertising agency that took me in as a receptionist. And when I was at a receptionist, it's like all I need is my foot in the door, and I'll figure the rest out. I got a job making thirty seven thousand dollars a year. I was living in a you know a, a horrible apartment in Brooklyn with my with with uh, with a friend. And I just, I wanted to make it. And uh, the first thing that I realized was that there was this department called the user experience department. And I met a gentleman who was not even that much older than me, who was the VP of the entire department. I was like, whoa, that's really cool. I want to learn what he's doing. So they mm-hmm. apprenticed, they took, he took me under his wing and I learned from him under a few months. And then three to four months later of sort of apprenticing under this department, I landed my first job as a UX designer. And then four years into that, I sort of looked back and was like, whoa, I've been working in this field. I never studied. I didn't know this was possible. I didn't even know how to get here. It was a lot of luck. I can't believe that I'm you know, making decent pay. Finally, I've moved out of my crappy apartment and I'm doing well and totally financially stable. And then I thought, okay, there's, there's, we got we to gotta make this. We got to create something where we can make these type of trainings really accessible. So that's how I started my first boot camp company. Um, was sort of with these like extremely disparate life, um, life, uh, life decisions. Well, that's amazing. I, I think that is a story that everybody should hear is that a lot of times there is this idea, you know, let's take the guy. First of all, there's nothing wrong with flipping burgers at a restaurant. You know, if that's something some people see that as a passion that they want to pursue. So I certainly mean no, um, no insult by saying that. But let's say you're not by choice, you're flipping burgers in a restaurant, you have this idea that, you know, working in a tech job is an impossible hill to climb. You need to get degrees, you need to get certificates, you need to become a programmer, you need to know Java, Python, and all this stuff. That's not true. Like you, there are so many ways of entering a tech sector. And in fact, most technology companies are 
desperate for people who are willing to learn. Really, I think this is true with uh, end-to-end where we have an office in Hyderabad called Socrates Labs. And we just test them on A, their aptitude to learn and passion to learn. And sometimes we hire you know, housewives straight out of um, that have no experience and we can train them in three months because we give them all the training necessary, including communication. And they do just as well because sometimes the need for resources is very high. So um, you're listening to your story that, you know, just sometimes just apprenticing uh, under a person uh, for a job is just as good, but obviously getting into a bootcamp is even better because then you have a structured learning rather than getting stovepiped into a specific skill that only, that's not probably that's probably not transferable. So that's a great life story, Benny. Um, as we start wrapping up this episode, um, I want to see if, you know, I know we talked about a lot of range of topics. Um, I want to see if you have, if I want to give you an opportunity to see if there's any questions that we did not touch upon that uh, we should talk about as we start closing up the segment. I don't think so. Um, I really just enjoyed being here because I, I, I've seen, you know, I've, I've been a fan of the podcast for so long and I've actually th- thought that um, the 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 range of, w- of which you of, of personalities and experiences that you bring on here is really special, and I'm just so happy to be able to add my story to that. Um, I want to give you a big thank you for having me here again, and um, and please keep in touch. And if you're in the audience listening today, if you're a college or university and you want to learn more about how partnerships at Upright work, send us an email partnerships at uprighted.com. Um, otherwise, thanks, Kieran. It's been awesome. Sounds great. Um, and again, we'll put in the show notes your email address and your link to your website. Benny, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and congratulations on all the great work you're doing, not only to help Upright be successful, but also help hopefully millions of adult learners become successful and realizing their dreams. Again, there's nothing wrong with being a poet. There's nothing wrong with uh, wanting to be a writer or a journalist or, or a liberal arts uh, person. But if for some reason you feel like there is a better path out there for me in a technology sector and you don't know how to realize the dream, please reach out to me or Benny and we'll we'll find we'll give you the resources you need either by pointing you to the right colleges or you know you can talk to Benny directly. Benny, thank you for joining the podcast. Thanks, Kieran. It's been awesome. Have a great day. Everything is a service. Whether it's finding ways to help students reach their goals within higher education, sharing medical records to patients quickly and securely, informing residential customers of an impending outage, or communicating with remote satellites thousands of miles apart, all of it requires data, integration, and communication. At End2End, we provide services that make all of these possibilities realities. And we make it faster, simpler, secure, and easier. Because we believe everything is a service, and bringing everything together is how we can help you innovate and change the world.